Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Joe McCormick, and it's Monday, the day of the week that we read back some messages you've sent into the show account recently. Uh, I've been trying to remember to say the, the email address toward the beginning of these episodes lately. It is contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. If you want to get in touch uh, with feedback on any episodes we do, if you just want to tell us something interesting, if you want to ask a uh, a question, uh, whatever you want, you know, you can, you can write in just to say hi. Uh, it's contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. Rob, if you don't mind, I'm going to start off with this message from Lurch, which relates to several episodes. Yeah, Lurch it up. Lurch says, Good morning, gentlemen. Allow me to start by flogging a dead lamb. Referring back to the vegetable lamb of Tartary. Ooh, wow. It, it, we have really been getting some stragglers on this one. This has been going on for months now. Yeah, this is not... So sometimes you, can, you know an episode is going to generate a certain amount of feedback. Some, uh, some don't uh, actually come through like you expect they will. And some, like the vegetable lamb of Tartary, just continue to, to, to pull in listener comments, which, which I love. I love being surprised like that. I think I've noticed a pattern that, that definitely we get the most email in response to any episode that offers listeners a chance to tell us about their dreams. Not yes. like their hopes and dreams, but their nighttime sleepy dreams. Yeah. 
guess that's what y'all are like. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Lurch goes on to say, referring, referring back to the vegetable lamb of Tartary, I was struck by the apparent fact, I may be misremembering, that the earliest references to the lamb slash gourd were as food. Knowing how kind and thoughtful humans are to strangers, it seems quite possible that a traveler was once offered baked lamb in a gourd as a feast, provided by some host as a joke. Of such things are history made. Uh, well, that's that's an interesting point. I have had, in the, in the past, when I was... Um, uh, more of a meat eater. I, I did have meat in a pumpkin once. So mm-hmm. uh, such dishes do exist. It's been so long I forgot what the earliest accounts were. Was it Sir John Mandeville and didn't he? But I think he said like it, it was a fully formed little lamb. Yeah, you have these different versions of it, right? It, co- complicated are the roots of the vegetable lamb of Tartary. Okay, Lurch goes on to say, I'm just glad it didn't catch on. Speaking of cooking, let me now turn my attention to cauldrons. I'm positive I'm not the first to float this hypothesis, so I'm rather surprised it wasn't given at least a passing mention in the episodes. Several times you guys mentioned that cauldrons have been found hidden, deliberately placed in relatively secure locations such as bogs. (laughs) I've never thought of a bog as a secure location, but okay. Yeah, it's a solid investment. Always invest in bogs. Yes, yeah. Can't lose. Uh, Lurch says, relatively speaking, I'd suggest that cauldrons were expensive back in the day. And of course, they're still pretty heavy. Uh, Yeah, of course. This goes along with something we talked about in one of the later cauldron episodes about uh, that paper arguing that cauldrons had social significance because they were sort of uh, something that would be used probably not in preparing normal everyday meals, but for preparing communal meals. So if you had a cauldron that was kind of like showing off your, your wealth and community significance and your power to, uh, to assert social dominance by hosting feasts. Hmm. Uh, but springboarding off the idea that cauldrons are expensive, Lurch says, if a horde of rampaging outsiders were threatening your home, but you couldn't flee with your valuables, what would you do? What everybody else in that situation has done throughout history, hide the good China in the hope that it'll still be there when you return. If you return, of course. If you don't, you still want to deny the good stuff to the bad guys. Okay, so I think I understand Lurch is suggesting that somebody may have just hidden a cauldron in the bog for safekeeping rather than intentionally depositing it there as a sacrifice to the gods, as has often been assumed. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting hypothesis. It's my understanding, though, that, that historians are are going on more than just the finding of uh, cauldrons in bogs. I mean, that we have other things yeah. that have been uh, interred there, such as bodies and so forth. That there there seems to be a strong uh, understanding that these were sacred places that they were maybe considered a you know a place between. Right. You might find bodies in the bog that are not just anybody, but somebody who looks pretty strongly like a case of human sacrifice or something yeah. like that. Okay. Uh, finally, Lurch says, I turn my attention to Weird House, in particular, Planet of the Vampires, one of my all-time <laughs> favorite movies. During your commentary, Joe mentioned that he loves a good uniform. I think we both said that. I quite agree. Let me share my favorite. The uniforms of the technocrats in Things to Come. What puts these uniforms at the top of the list is the absolutely over-the-top helmet. In my opinion, these are the best cinematic uniforms ever made. 
Rob, I included some pictures for you to look at. We can come back and uh, and address these in a bit. But just to finish Lurch's message, on a side note, near the end of the movie is a set that leaves me in stitches every time I watch. They're preparing to use a huge gun to fire people into space to the moon. Aside from the fact that this idea cannot work, why is there a sight on the end of the barrel? Thank you for helping the miles go by more quickly. Lurch. Uh, okay, so I guess we should briefly uh, introduce the idea of things to come. This this movie from the 30s. I believe I talked about it in a previous listener mail episode that I did by myself while you were out of town once. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is one of those films I've never actually seen it, but I'm mm-hmm. familiar with it, and of course I've been admiring this spacesuit for for ages. Uh, Things to Come, 1936, widely regarded as a sci-fi classic, and one one that Michael Weldon actually had of uh, the Psychotronic uh, Film Guides lists as one of his top 10 films of the 1930s. Uh, This one's also notable because H.G. Wells adapted his own novel for the screen in this one, and I believe this is the only time that he did this. Uh, So yeah, these spacesuits are pretty great. They have basically, imagine a a traditional spacesuit, and there's a lot of sameness in spacesuit designs in science fiction. Now imagine one that has enough room for your head to uh, grow in size by what, uh, uh, three sizes or more, or one that has enough room for the most outrageous hairstyle imaginable. If you ever played GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64 and you <laughs> used the cheat known as DK mode, where it would turn all the characters into Donkey Kong with giant heads and arms, this is a spacesuit made for <laughs> for DK mode people. Yeah, yeah. It's but the thing is, it, uh, so yes, you can when you describe it like this, it sounds ridiculous. It does look a little ridiculous, but it also looks really cool in a way that's hard to really drive home why. And I think part of it is that it just does look so different, and therefore it feels like a product of a of a of a different age. Yeah, I agree. I I love a big, very uh, sort of globular helmet like this. You know, I always love the helmets in uh, Alien, like in the Alien mm-hmm. franchise, because they're kind of. Oh, you know, they're like a big glass ball on the front. Yeah, yeah, those are those are solid helmets for sure. Now, coming back to what Lurch says about the space gun that's going to send people into orbit in the movie. Uh, yeah, it, I never noticed this before, but it is true. The, the barrel of this giant gun, this is not something that would be held by a human. It's like building-sized. Uh, it has an iron sight at the end of the barrel. <laughs> like somebody's <laughs> going to be looking down it to aim. Yeah, I believe Weldon also said in his summary of this that he, that he thinks like it's it's one of those films you can really only compare it to Metropolis, like, like he mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of the scope of it, and I guess the you know the time period of science fiction involved. All right, we also heard back from some folks on our Vault episode about numeracy. This one comes to us from Anna. Hello, Robert, Joe, and Seth. I enjoyed your recent Vault episode on numeracy and whether it is innate or learned. I was wondering how this relates to time. As a small child, you conceptualize time differently. Like when you were told you can play for 15 minutes, that doesn't really have much meaning. You just stop playing when your mom says it's dinner time. But you do have an idea of time passing. Rob's story about his son reminds me of something that happened to my niece, Mim. She was staying with my parents, granny and granddad to her, and my brother, her father, uh, had taken the opportunity to go to the shops child-free. 
Mim and Granny were playing out front of the house. Mim asked, when will Daddy be home? Granny said, Daddy will be home soon. And with the absolute confidence of a four-year-old, Mim said, but it's soon now. Hard to argue with that smiley face. I really enjoy all the content you put out, and I love the way you present it. Keep up the good work, Anna. That's great. And it, so the first paragraph here about like being told you can play for 15 minutes as a child and that not really having meaning, I think it's, it absolutely squares with my memories of childhood where time being given time periods up to a certain point was very mysterious to me. And at a certain point, I, I really remember deciding, like when I was asking on a car trip how much time was left, essentially, if I was told anything less than an hour, I knew that we would be there immediately. It's like, oh, okay, we're pretty <laughs> much there. And anything more than an hour, I knew it would be forever. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a timeless question, especially for children. How soon is soon? How soon is now? Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, here's another one about our numeracy episodes. This is from Andrea. Andrea says, Hi, Robert and Joe. I've been listening to the show for at least four years, but I've never written in until now. Your vault episode discussing whether animals have a number sense reminded me of a cat we had years ago who was both very, very smart and very, very strange. When she was a kitten, one of her favorite pastimes was to go to the basement, pick up a strip of rag that we had torn up for staking tomato plants, carry it up the stairs in her mouth, deposit it on the kitchen floor, then return to the basement for the next one. If, however, to mess with her, we removed rag number six while she was down getting number seven, she would notice immediately when she returned to become very upset and search for it while meowing accusingly at us. We surmised from this that she could indeed count. I'm open to other explanations, though. Oh, and then Andrea has some other comments about uh, uh, enjoying listening to our show as as one drifts off to sleep. Uh, but either way, yes, so we, we we fully support that usage as well. Um, so so yeah, I I think this is an interesting story about the cat. Rob, have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, no, but I, I absolutely have no reason to doubt that this cat has a full uh, range of numeracy. I mean, I can't think of <laughs> any other hypothesis that could possibly explain this. This cat has the maths. This cat will prove the Riemann conjecture. No, I uh, seriously though, I yeah, I don't even I really don't even know what to make of this. I would I would seriously guess that the cat does not have any kind of a number sense um that there's some other reason for one rag rather than the other rag, but that it has nothing to do with the numbers that are printed on there. Yeah, uh, it's been a while since we did the episode, so now I'm afraid, you know, we we talk about these things and sometimes they sort of partially leave my head or sometimes more than partially. Uh, I think it was that, you know, that 
I, th- I think the conclusion was that a lot of animals seem to have maybe a sense of numeracy for a few numbers, like like one, two, three or so. Mm-hmm. But after that, differences get, get kind of lost. Like you wouldn't expect a non-human animal to tell the difference between six and seven. Does that, does that right, sound right to you? Right, in terms of quantity, yeah. Like yeah. here's six cat treats, here's seven cat treats. Um, yeah, my, if my memory is correct on this, yeah, it means that the cat probably can't tell the difference between those quantities, where it could tell the difference between, say, two and seven. Uh, yeah. And in terms of the numbers, six and seven, uh, absolutely not. Unless, I mean, there would have to be some other factors involved, something scent-related or I don't even know if sound-related. It could be possible, I guess, if there's something attached to the uh, to, to the strips. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, there have to be some other elements in play here. The closest I can see to that is my dog knows that he gets two dog treats after dinner. And if he just gets one, he knows that he is owed another one. He doesn't forget. <laughs> but I don't know. If he were to get seven after dinner, he might just lose track. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to test. Okay. Tonight, it's um, it's seven treats. <laughs> and then keep that up for a little bit and then bring him down to six and see if he complains. All right, you want to do some of these messages about sky bridges? Yeah, this was one where I, I knew we would hear from from folks on these, and I was not disappointed. Uh, this one comes to us from Jeff. Jeff says, "Hi, Robert and Joe. I just finished listening through the first and second episode on sky bridges." And I've got a few thoughts. I grew up and currently live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which regularly gets colder than negative 40 degrees Celsius for days or weeks at a time during the winter and often gets warmer than 30 degrees Celsius in the summertime. As a result, our entire downtown is basically connected by various sky bridges, underground tunnels, and covered arcades, making it quite simple to get from a person's house, then to work, and including a chance to walk around underground tunnels to do some additional shopping on your lunch break in the underground mall. I lived in a high-rise for a few years, and navigating indoors to get to concerts, restaurants, and even my grocery shopping was quite simple if I wanted to avoid the elements. I also used to work at the University of Manitoba, which is almost entirely connected by underground tunnels, so that in the extreme cold, it is easy for students and staff to get from building to building. A benefit to having this protected connectivity that often goes overlooked is the increased accessibility for people with mobility concerns, especially in a city like Winnipeg that gets tremendous snow when ice builds up throughout the year and navigating with assistance devices and bulky clothes can be quite difficult and cumbersome. I could talk about the subject for hours, so I will end it there. But I appreciate what you do. Keep up the good work. Jeff. Great points, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but first on, you know, a, a cold city or a city that is often uh, cold. And then the mobility issues. That's a, that's, that's a big concern. Uh, along the same lines with uh, with the relationship between skybridge uh, density and weather, we got a message from Kenya. Kenya says, hello, I'm surprised you focus so much on Atlanta instead of Minneapolis or St. Paul, which have intricate mazes of skywalks connecting a good number of buildings downtown. 
I went to St. Paul on a work trip in the dead of winter. Our team stayed at a hotel that wasn't on the Skyway, while the client team stayed in a hotel that was connected to the Skyway. I remember them showing up without their coats while we were freezing. They forgot to tell us about this. On subsequent days, walking to the work site from our hotel, we walked to the closest building on the Skyway and snaked our way through buildings to get to work. Food, convenience stores, a post office, and everything you could need were in that maze. I would also love for you guys to talk about underground tunnels that work the way that skywalks do. At uh, at one point in the Crystal City part of Arlington, Virginia, there was no foot traffic. Everything was underground. The Crystal City underground isn't what it used to be. At one time, it had an arcade and a movie theater. Now it just contains some lunch spots and a theater while connecting several buildings to the metro station. I've always thought it dark and dank, but it's a similar concept just without sunlight. Toronto has a similar underground tunnel system. Your show is always a good listen, Kenya. Oh, well, thank you, Kenya. Um, well, let's see. First, on the Atlanta uh, uh, point, uh, I mean, first of all, we are in Atlanta, so it is kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of neat to, to focus a little bit on our, our home city here. Uh, but also, uh, I found that uh, some of the social elements in play and some of the social criticism of, of, of sky bridges uh, and, these, and some of these connected walkways, uh, they're, they're a little more pr- pronounced here in Atlanta versus a city mm-hmm. that has extreme uh, cold weather uh, going on. Uh, but still, I, I'm very much enjoying these examples that are coming to us uh, from northern cities. And as for tunnels, oh, I mean, d- d- don't don't tempt us. Uh, we'd, we'd love to do some episodes on tunnels in the future. I'm always fascinated by subterranean passageways um, for humans, uh, for, for trains full of humans, uh, for non-human entities as well. So, uh, yeah, that... I, I think we could we could easily explore that in the future. I, I Rob, I would say you have chronic tunnel bug in the brain. You you are will never pass up a chance to talk about tunnels. I, I love a tunnel, and we have we have a, we have some we have some tunnels here in Atlanta, though uh, we're not nearly as underground a city as uh, as, as many others. I mean, so, so the best examples are, are certainly far from here. But even then, I love I love it when I'm in like a train tunnel here in Atlanta on our MARTA system. All right, one last message about Sky Bridges. This is from Pat. Pat says, very interesting episodes. Thanks ever so much. I was reminded of a not-so-spectacular example in Brooklyn. When I was a boy, I loved visiting the Abraham Strauss Department Store on Fulton Street in downtown Brooklyn. The development and history of department stores is a cool subject. This wonderful old store had many departments and an annex building with availability of products not found in other department stores in the 60s. At this one store, you could buy, quote, underdrawers, and <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the, the accent being portrayed in this, uh, in this quote, underdrawers and the machine to wash them in. One reached the annex through a sky bridge. I loved this entrance, and I never missed the opportunity. You talked briefly about roofs over cities. I read long ago about an idea about creating a second level in Manhattan. The lower level would be traffic only. The upper level would be pedestrian only. Sure, there would be a dark underground, but this is not a living space. It's a way of securing pedestrians from the perils of vehicular traffic. Do keep up the fun work, Pat. Oh well, that last point is very much in keeping with some of the uh, you know the, the reasons behind creating the the sky bridges, yeah, and and some of yeah. these sort of fantastic architectural 
uh, solutions. Uh, like, let's get the people away from the, from the vehicular traffic. Let's create a safe barrier between the two. By the way, speaking of Brooklyn, um, I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but if, if anyone out there, if you find yourself in New York, in Brooklyn, uh, as a tourist, or maybe you just live there and you haven't checked this out for yourself, the New York Transit Museum is excellent. Uh, it is in an old um, a subway station. And so mm-hmm. you get to check out these examples of older cars with you know older style uh, advertisements on them on the train tracks themselves in an actual subway station. Wow. All right, and here's one more, and uh, this is—I guess this is this is not really a direct response to Weird House so much, but it's kind of in keeping with the stuff we talk about on Weird House. Uh, this is a response to recent discussions of local TV horror hosts, and uh, ooh, who does this who's this come well, from? Well, we're not—I I was trying to—I'm not sure what name this guy wanted us to use, uh, so we'll skip the name, I guess. Okay, from somebody. Here comes <laughs> uh, some listener mail. All. I grew up on Sammy Terry hosting horror films in the 70s and some of the 80s. The pics on the wiki page don't do him justice. So I have attached a picture for your viewing pleasure, enjoying the show and encouraging you to keep up the good work. Uh, And there's, uh, yeah, what what do we have here, Joe? We have uh, some pictures of Samuel Terry and uh, we were, uh, you shared some video footage with me earlier. Well, so this picture is a screen grab I took. Uh, that uh, th- this listener attached some other links in the in the email. But Sammy Terry, if you're not getting it yet, that's a that is a pun name like cemetery. Ah. Uh, but <laughs> when I I was like, okay, I'm not familiar. Sammy Terry was an Indianapolis area local TV horror host. You can look up. It, uh, there's a bunch of clips of him on YouTube. Uh, the one I watched was an intro to some movie. I don't know what movie he was going into, but he gave the most bizarre <laughs> monologue about how, um, let's see, like you could be running from a madman, and then while you're running from the madman, perhaps you get abducted by aliens, and then you finally make it home safe, only to discover that your tap water has been poisoned by a like brain-eating virus. And uh, so strap in for the movie. Uh, <laughs> and the, when it introduces Sam, Sammy Terry, he gets out of a coffin. He stands up. He's got uh, he's got sort of a Frankenstein face makeup. He's kind of green. Uh, and he's got a big red cape with a hood. And it introduces him with a local news style Chiron, like a little name tag at the bottom of the mm-hmm. screen. Except it doesn't do the pun. It calls him Samuel Terry. And then under that, it says ghoul, I guess, is his op- occupation. Yeah, I don't think I'd seen footage of this guy before, but uh, I, I, I like the shtick. I think he, he had a good thing going here. He also had a pet rubber spider named George. Nice. Yeah, it seems like the main things you need needed for one of these, uh, these, these daytime horror host gigs was you need a little bit of makeup, a few props... You know, maybe you have uh, you know some sort of a, a coffin in the shot. Get one from the, the the local funeral home. But then mostly you just need to have a lot of uh, of, of enthusiasm to ham it up in front mm-hmm. of the camera and talk. Well, in this example, about basically anything uh, <laughs> in order to set up the motion picture. I would say that it, at least in the one clip I watched, Sammy Terry seemed less oriented around puns uh, and jokes than someone like Elvira or the Crypt Keeper who they mm-hmm. they were just like chock full of densely packed comedy about the movies if i yeah. recall Sammy Terry seemed more like a sort of campy hammy 
direct monologue about monsters and frights. I mean, maybe he was an actual ghoul. That's the thing. We're we're oh, yeah. we're, we're doubting the authenticity of the character. This is he's he's risen from the tomb here, and he's here to talk about tomb stuff. He doesn't even know there's a movie coming. I didn't mean to disrespect his life's work. I mean, <laughs> ghoul, ghoul things are important. Well, this was great. I, uh, if anybody out there has any other examples of local TV horror hosts, I, I'd certainly love to to hear about them. Uh, like I say, there there are so many of them. Um, each one with their own kind of regional flair. I saw one very heartwarming YouTube comment. That's not a common phrase. Uh, it, where the whoever it was was just like, uh, I remember every Friday night it was you know some particular local pizza delivery place and Sammy Terry. Oh, see that was that was event television. That's what they call it now. Yeah. All right. No, no, they don't call it event television. Appointment television. That was appointment television. Ah, ah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out this mailbag, but we'd love to hear from you. As always, we do listener mail on Mondays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Write in about uh, core episodes of the show, past and present. Uh, Write in about past, present, and future episodes of Weird House Cinema. Everything's fair game. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Like Joe said at the top of the episode, even if it's just to say hi. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. Once more, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason at all, it is contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.